From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. If the long break from college football caused anyone to forget what makes the sport so popular, Florida's wild, wacky, and messy win over Miami was an instant refresher on what drives fans across the country crazy every Saturday in the fall. On today's show, we'll recap the Week Zero clash at Camping World Stadium and discuss what it says about this season with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Then, Gator legacy Tanner Rowell takes us through his journey from diehard fan to preferred walk-on to the lifetime-defining moment during camp when he was awarded a scholarship. But first, expectations were undoubtedly high for Florida's first meeting with the Hurricanes since 2013, and the fan reaction to the performance was certainly all over the board. So to open this week's roundtable, we asked Scott and Chris for their impressions of the Orange and Blue's true 2019 debut. You know, if you were there, you felt like it was a huge game as it was billed. It felt like a bowl game or something. Uh, the stadium was alive and outside the stadium, a lot of tailgate and a lot of festive atmosphere. And then, of course, Florida Miami's, you know, it's a, a robbery that we haven't seen in a while. And everything was there that made it a really special night, except a lot of people are saying the football. They said, you know, it wasn't the cleanest game. And they're right. It was. It had sloppy moments. I think it looked a lot like a season opener, to be honest with you. I think both teams did some good things. I think both teams showed some rust. Uh, in the end, if you're a Gator fan, oh, you got to be uh, liking it a little bit more than Miami fans because your team won. It wasn't the most artistic performance in history, mm-hmm. but it was effective. You got a win over Miami, which are very hard to come by. Uh, if you've been to Florida Gators for the last 30 years. So you got a win over Miami to open the season. You got a national stage all to yourself. You got a week off now while the rest of college football season opens. It gives them time to, you know, work on some things and, and to get better before they hit the field again. But uh, again, I think it's a pretty good start for Florida. Yeah, I think um, in terms of the sloppiness, I think a lot of that can be credited to what Scott just said. First game. I mean, you talk about missed tackle, you talk about missed blocks, you talk about missed receivers. I mean, at practice, they don't hit guys. You don't tackle at practice, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, they have scrimmages and stuff. Dan Mullen in his press conference uh, this week talked about how he's scared of scrimmages because, you know, you worry about guys getting hurt, not necessarily on the first tackle, but on uh, the third party. He said, a uh, guy's rolling up on guys and what have you. And so, you know, uh, C.J. Henderson had a couple like bad plays in terms of missed tackles. He hasn't tackled a lot of guys during the preseason. Um, uh, uh, receivers haven't, you know, had to go up in traffic, uh, thinking they're going to get hit in the preseason. Uh, you know, missed blocks and stuff. This stuff is going to be more prevalent in a game against Miami in a first game against Miami than it's going to be against Charleston Southern or Toledo or Idaho. And the fact that uh, Florida fans wanted this picture-perfect game, the first game of the year because they're seven-and-a-half-point favorites over Miami, I mean, they forget the fact that they that they won the game and flip it around. Miami's a pretty good team. I think Miami will end up being a good team this year. They're, they're the number four defense in the country last year. First in the country last year 
in third down defense. And I think that was reflected in the final statistical where they two of 11, two or 12. So it was Florida, bad. They were better. They were a lot better on fourth down, four for four, by the way. But uh, uh, first game stuff, uh, I just fan reaction to the whole thing was to me, it was really flabbergasting. It probably shouldn't be the way social media is nowadays. But I just close your eyes, Gator fans, take a deep breath and imagine what it would be like to be a Miami fan. You gave up 10 sacks. You could have had the ball on the 11 and the 25 yard line in the fourth quarter after turnovers to try to win the game. You didn't. You missed a field goal. Um, all those crazy plays. I mean, a lot of this angst could have been uh, averted for falling on one of the three fumbles in the fourth quarter. Uh, sure. <laughs> all of that, every ball, the balls out there, they weren't even close to any of them, I don't think. Um, but I mean, four turnovers, uh, this is stuff that coaches can clean up. Um, it's not a whole lot different, I guess I should say, than uh, a year ago after Florida lost to Kentucky and everybody, the fans had the pitchforks and the torches marching uh, in you know downtown University Avenue <laughs> on somebody's head. Um, the Gators are one to know they beat a Miami team that will probably be uh, contend in their division in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Like Scott said, they, they beat them one time since, I guess, 1986. Yep. Um, take the win. Enjoy the bye week. The Gators are going to clean things up this week. Uh, they'll clean some stuff up next week when they face an FCS opponent, which they should get a little more, uh, uh, I guess, tackling dummy practice in on. What do you think Herm Edwards <laughs> say about the reaction? Chris? Yeah, yeah, Herm, Herm Edwards. Yeah, hello. <laughs> Play to win the game. Hello. Oh, John Gruden said. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even want to go there. Wait, we've, we've got to hear what Gruden, because I'm telling you, when I've been watching Hard Knocks, I'm like, it, to me, I close my eyes and I hear, I hear Chris. So, Chris, I need you to give me John Gruden's take on this. <laughs> You ever see those Miami linebackers play, okay? This guy's going to be playing on Sundays one day. That's what I'm talking about, you know? So Felipe Franks, no, he didn't have a great game. But you know what? It's early in the season. We can work on things, okay? <laughs> you guys want to come out and watch us practice, work on things next week? Come on out. I got no problem with that. <laughs> um, uh, that's not my best Gruden, but it's like, again, it's, it's week zero. That's so right. uh, I need to brush it up as we go along. But let's, you don't need to sound any alarms. Teams want to know. I was. I was funny. I was. Scott and I were talking earlier today. The uh, the national writers uh, that were there walking around in the in the press box here. Man, this Florida team isn't very good. Well, I mean, this, that's pretty heavy duty reaction uh, after one game against a pretty good team, and a lot of that stuff is correctable stuff. And I think uh, we all saw last year that Dan Mullen's team last year and that coaching staff made those players better as the season progressed. And there's obviously a lot, a lot of time left in this season. Even after they lost to Kentucky. To improve, even after they lost to Kentucky, even after they lost to Georgia and Missouri back really? to back. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think, I think the team did get a little bit better. Uh, Mullen made the point, Adam, if Franks didn't throw that interception at the end of the game, I know he did. But let's just say, let's say he didn't, let's say he managed to throw the ball away or grounded it or took the sack or whatever. And he's 17 to 27 for 250 yards and one interception instead of two. And the numbers look a lot better and probably the score looks a lot better. And there's a lot, again, less angst at the end of the game. So teachable moments, film study, all these things are, again, stuff that's correctable, and that's why they have coaches. That's why they have meetings. That's why I have practices. Well, it's interesting, too, in terms of the what-if game. Is that I know talking to some people in the aftermath of the game, you know, looking back even at the fumble inside the five, where if, if Florida cashes that in, then it's 14-3. to three. Maybe the game turns into a runaway. So it, it's hard to play that game. But inevitably, as you just noted, a lot of the questions come back to, what if Franks had or hadn't done X, Y, or Z? I'm yeah. curious for, for your assessment of Felipe Franks. And, you know, he's always going to generate attention. There's no question. His antics generate attention as well. 
what were your thoughts on the, the overall package we saw relative to what you expected to see from the fourth-year QB? I think the key with Felipe, uh, when you look back at why there was such optimism around him, and the offense going into the season is the way he finished up last year. And what did he do in that really good stretch to finish the season? Eight touchdown passes, four touchdown runs, no interceptions. Hmm. So four turnovers in the opener, uh, you know, you can't have that. I mean, Dan Mullen, he was talking about that. The two fumbles definitely irked him more than the two interceptions. He even took some responsibility for the final interception because that was a, a, a play that he said probably not his best play call yet it showed his confidence in Felipe compared to years or last year to even put him in that situation to have the the confidence to maybe throw the ball and get a big play to ice the game in that situation didn't work out uh so it's fair game to be analyzed and scrutinized and I think that's what you know we're seeing here I, I don't think you can take too much out of one game they won the game uh, he threw for the same amount of yards as he did in that win against Florida State. Huh. The difference, the turnovers. Yeah. And then bottom line, uh, you know, if you really want to see how he responds, that's what I'm looking for. Because, okay, here he is. He's already in the crosshairs, at least with the fans, after one game. It's almost like a, uh, it takes us back to midseason last year when things weren't going well. And then he got good at the end of the year for him and things quieted down. And suddenly after one game, a win nonetheless – we're hearing the same critics pop up again. So I'll be curious to see how Felipe comes out against UT Martin because, unfortunately for him, I think he's almost in a no-win situation. I think he can come out and throw for four touchdowns and 350 yards, and there'll be a certain element of the fan base that says, yeah, but that was Tennessee Martin. I want to see him do it against the SEC school. And, of course, if he does struggle or if he doesn't have his best game, and then they're going to really be on him whether win or lose. So I think if you're Felipe, you know what? You just got to turn it off, go out there and have confidence and play your game. And, you know, just from an observer, I'll be looking to see, you know, we've talked a lot about his maturity and how he's grown up since he's been here uh, and maybe doesn't let things impact him the way maybe he did as a, a freshman two years ago. So if that's all true, I think he just comes out and plays a steady game. And you just want to see he's put this game against Miami in his rear view mirror because I think that's the only thing he needs to be focused on right now because in the reality, it doesn't matter what happened, uh, you know, in the opener at this point. We obviously knew Franks was going to be talked about a lot, and that was a guy everyone had expectations for one way or the other. Uh, outside of Felipe Franks, what surprised you, an individual unit that made plays or maybe didn't make the plays you expected in, in week zero? The lack of turnovers uh, forced by the defense. Now, having said that, I mean, 10 sacks is, <laughs> and yet there were turnovers that opportunities there, like I referenced before, the fumbles were on the ground to be recovered and weren't, weren't recovered. Um, I think it's funny because like, Sharon Williams was getting all this high praise and stuff uh, for his performance versus Felipe Franks's uh, so-called poor performance after the game. I mean, I don't know that Jaron Williams had a great football game, did he? Uh, not according to Don Enos is a, uh... Offensive coordinator, he's been very critical of his performance. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, no, he didn't throw any interceptions, granted, but probably held the ball too long a couple times. Like yeah. I said, he put the ground, on, he put the ball on the ground a couple times that his his teammates bailed him out on, you know. And uh, I'll say this: and, uh, the pass interference calls. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the game, I mean, Marco Wilson's going to play in the NFL. That's a bus ride home. He must not have been happy with himself with that. Same, I mean, Trading was a guy who was susceptible to some uh, uh, mistakes last year, and he's still a relatively young player being a, 
a guy who was a true freshman last season. But um, the missed tackles, arm tackle attempts by some of the guys on the second level of the Florida defense, that's the kind of things that stood out to me in terms of things that may have surprised me. Also, maybe I, I would have thought Florida could have at least run the ball a little bit better than uh, less than a yard per or less than two yards per carry. I know he threw, you take out the one sack of Franks, I think it was 2.2 yards a carry, I think, in 54 attempts. I mean, against a good team, if you can't run the ball, you're going to have difficulty making plays downfield in the passing game. And we expected some issues with the offensive line being young. Um, I think Miami had more issues with their offensive line than Florida did, but Florida certainly. Uh, their offense line didn't give Felipe a whole lot of time to get back there and maybe scan the field a little bit. So, again, these are all things that are uh, need to be built on, need to be worked on, need to be improved. But it's always better to talk about, you know, the frailties and what have you, especially against a good opponent um, following a victory. Well, I mean, I'm going to start kind of with what Chris said, the defense and the sacks. You just don't expect to get 10 sacks in a game. That's the most for an SEC school since the 2008. Egg Bowl when Ole Miss had 11 sacks against Mississippi State, which wow. I'm sure you guys knew, but some of our listeners may not know. But yeah, I mean, so you don't have 10 sacks uh, very often. I thought the defensive line and the the pressure that Todd Grantham turned up was, you know, a huge difference in the game. But um, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, I was kind of curious. I, I really thought that Kadarius Tony, that great play he made, he was really quiet after that. Mm-hmm. He had a couple more touches, so that's that's kind of another ongoing storyline. But really, you look at the offense, and there was a lot of guys who were kind of quiet. I mean, Josh Hammond had a big catch and a big game. But, you know, Trayvon Grimes, was, you know, I don't remember him making too much noise in the offense. P. Ryan, the running game, was really struggling to get going. So, you know, there, there's there's a little – there's some things on both sides of the ball. I think one guy who really helped himself out was Ventrell Miller, the linebacker. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, and I, I didn't realize this during the game other than the plays he actually made, but I watched the replay. Boy, he was showing up on a replay all over the place. He was one of the their better energy guys out there. Obviously had two of the sacks that uh, we talked about. That's going to help them at the linebacker spot as they still continue to use Armari Bernie moving around between star and linebacker. So, uh, you know, I think overall, I know so much attention's on Felipe right now, but I think the thing that surprised me the most out of this game is probably the overreaction by the fans. I mean, you know, it's early in the season, man. No game this week, obviously, but you guys did have a chance to spend about a half hour with Dan Mullen during the week, and he uh, obviously spoke to the media about more thoughts from the opener and what it means going forward. So I'm curious, what were your takeaways from that in terms of where he's at and his reactions to week one? Well, I think he's at a good place. He was actually in a pretty good mood from what I could tell. And he was asked about Felipe and some of the reactions to the game. And it's, first of all, he's glad people care and that it matters because that means college football matters. That's why these games like Miami, Florida, that's why you've heard so much about it beforehand, because people do care. But then you go out there and you don't necessarily play your your finest game and well, you're going to hear about it. So it's all part of experience of being a coach and being a player. He, he even used his story you know, about Felipe again about, hey, that's that's playing quarterback at Florida. That's what comes with it. You know, you got to take the good and the bad. So I think my takeaway was that Mullen, despite all the angst, from Florida fans, I think the team feels it's in a pretty good place and 
One thing I thought was perhaps most important from an X and O's standpoint, he liked the offensive line. He, he likes what they had up there. He saw some promising signs from the unit. And I know going into the season, that was one of the big question marks. Yeah, he didn't do the best job of articulating this thought because he started his press conference with it, but I think everyone knew what he was talking about. He said that the week was just really, really different in that. I mean, for example, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, everybody's off. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing. I mean, that's really unusual uh, after one game. Um, just playing so early, followed up by a bye week, which is followed up by a, an SCS opponent. It's just, it's just got a different look and, more importantly, a different feel about it. There's nothing really normal about it. And I think uh, once uh, Monday hits next week, there will be a much more a normal uh, season routine feel to what's gone on because of everything happening uh, so soon here and, and just the different element to the whole thing, being the standalone game, uh, playing August 24th, the earliest game in the history of college football. Um, the stakes and the magnitude with the with the two opponents uh, being so uh, granted I haven't played a lot, but you know obviously it was a big big game with you know big state ties and what have you. Just I think he's really glad it's over with, mm-hmm. and I think that they'll enjoy. Uh, I think he's going out of town this weekend, right? And he sounded well, like he sounded like he was busting out of town this weekend and and kind of hitting around. He just didn't want to go anywhere where any where this tropical storm or this hurricane Dorian was going to hit. So that's a little different too. But um, I think come Monday, I'll be back looking at UT Martin. I guess that'll be week two because they played in week zero. And yeah. week one, we're going to enjoy football games this week for what is week one. And then week two, we'll have more of a sense of the normalcy about it. Yeah, you're given all that. And there's there's some discussion about week zero and, and whether it's good or not, good or bad for the players, good or bad for college football. I mean, it, it the ratings were massive for Florida Miami, so the interest was definitely there. Do you guys feel like the game was impacted by being on August 24th, by being so early and they started camp early? I mean, do you think that long term this is a good idea for college football or, or is it a big contributing factor to poor play, poor officiating, et cetera? No, we know about how this works. If there's big ratings, that means they're doing it again. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> but is it good is, though? Not, not. Are they going to do it again? Yeah, yeah. Is it good for fine. the game? Yeah, I think it's fine. Um, yes, it extends the season a little bit for. Uh, but if you if you ask the players, I think they enjoy participating in a game of that magnitude. To, uh, to be sure, and um, you know, I'm old enough to remember, easily old enough to remember, back in the '80s. There were all kinds of kickoff classics. They usually played them in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Then they pl- started playing some of them in um, in Anaheim. They didn't refer to them as Week Zero games, I don't believe, but they had they were standalone games that kicked off the season, and they were you know on TBS or uh, whatever network was televising games back then. And it's just the way it was. I I, I don't see this being any different. They're obviously, it probably won't be a Florida being involved in it, but you could certainly see them taking. Two uh, major brands, maybe next time from different uh, from different regions and pairing them up against each other. I wouldn't be surprised if there was um, not just one game, but maybe more than one game on a you know the week before the the whole college football season kicks off. So obviously no football this weekend, but there are other Gator sports going on. And even last week, football was almost the first sport to start the athletic season, which is almost always soccer. But soccer is one of the sports underway. Volleyball is one of the sports underway. Give us, say, a, a landscape of the rest of Gator Nation as it stands here at the end of August. Yeah, this, the soccer team, obviously it's a big season for them. They're coming off the worst uh, record in the in the history of the program. It's also the 20, 
the 25th uh, anniversary for Becky Burley's team. Sure, she's coached every one of those seasons, but they went down. Uh, FAU is a pretty good team. They went down to FAU and beat FAU three to two, and then uh, played at USF, which was ranked number 18. And ended up winning that game two to nothing, and it doesn't get any easier. I mean, here comes this weekend where they got to flip it around. They got to go out west. They play Southern Cal. They play UCLA, and then next week they come uh, home and. Uh, have to play uh, uh, at Florida State, which will be number one in the country. So their next three games, if you, their next three games are against three teams ranked in the top five. Hmm. Uh, like I said, USF was ranked number eighteen. So there's four straight games against ranked opponents, all of them on the road. So uh, Becky Burley, uh, she was talking uh, yesterday about you know you don't know what teams are going to be like when you start scheduling them, but at the same time. When you schedule USA, UCLA, and Florida State, which has been a, a soccer power the last few years, you probably know you're gonna uh, you're gonna be really, really challenged dealing with all the adversity they dealt with last season, be it with injuries and players not being around for international competition and what have you. They're diving into this uh, this season with the hope and with the knowledge they're gonna find out a lot early on in the season. So maybe next week we'll know a lot more about where uh, the status of this team and just how good it is. They can go out west and maybe steal one of those two they probably would have the right to feel pretty good about themselves yeah and then with volleyball they'll open the season ranked 10th in the country and the gators go up to play in the cardinal classic at the university of louisville this weekend and it's the start of mary wise's 30th season how about that that puts i thought that was just a Vicky brewer is 25 i was going wow they didn't uh, think about mary wise yeah. the start of her 30th season which makes her now the longest tenured coach in the history of the florida gators surpassing wow. Dave Fuller, who coached baseball for 29 years. Yeah, and in a, in addition, I mean, this is a team that has the core of its team back. You're talking about four of six starters are back. They got the libero back, and 14 of 16 letter winners from a team that was in the uh, regional semifinal last year of the NCAA tournament. Um, just some statistics here on the press release from uh, our our volleyball uh, contact here, Katie Callahan. I mean, Florida returns 84.5% of its kills, 80% of its service aces. Almost 74% of its blocks. I mean, it's, this is an experienced team that's going to be maybe a step ahead of what last year's team, which obviously took a step back from the year before when they when they went and played for the national championship. So uh, uh, I don't think anybody is expecting anything less than a, a, another really uh, solid season from Mary Wise and this team. And after they're done with uh, with that Louisville Cardinal Classic, they play number 25 Louisville, and they'll also play Dayton. They come home Wednesday, September 4th, and they will debut in the O-Dome that night, home opener against number one Stanford. So that's uh, something to get excited about. The Rowdy Reptiles or whoever those fans are over there, they get awfully excited about uh, volleyball, especially when a marquee opponent is coming in. Let's move on to our first true PAT of the season. Last week we talked about summer vacations, which was nice, but now we got to dig into the the meat here. And uh, it stems from the breaking news on Saturday night. And while most people expected Florida Miami to be kind of the the talk of of sports on that evening, that was totally changed when that breaking news banner came across. And I want to say it was maybe the third quarter, but obviously just stunned the entire sports world when Andrew Luck announced his retirement seemingly out of nowhere. So, you know, people have made comparisons to other greats who stepped away, maybe at the the height of their prime. I'm curious for you guys, uh, how shocking is this in the grand scheme of things you've seen, and what can you compare it to? Well, you know, I do recall the news broke there as we were in the press box, and I heard a couple of the national riders who were there, they were joking amongst themselves that, well, uh, you know, we're going to be pushed back on the uh, the homepage or whatever because – 
you know, it was going to be a huge national story in the sports world. And it was, uh, to me, I think Chris, the all time biggest shocker for me was the first time Michael Jordan retired. I mean, I, I just could not believe that he was going to step away after three consecutive NBA titles and around 30. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't that old. Early 30s, yeah. So, you know, he stepped away to play baseball for a couple of years and then obviously came back and kind of picked up where he left off. But I think it's pretty hard to, in my lifetime, get past that one. I mean, Barry Sanders was another one that I remember. You can go back to before that, Jim Brown. Yeah, well, biggest... Jim, Jim Brown was 30 years old. He was the M- when he retired, I think, after the 65 season. And uh, he, he was the MVP of the NFL championship game. And he was, like I said, 29 years old. And I think he had his press conference announcement uh, on the set of the Dirty Dozen, which he was filming. <laughs> so uh, uh, he had a he had a career already planned for him. And everyone was shocked because he was walking away from $60,000 contract wow. for, the, for wow. the next year. Versus Andrew Luck, who's uh, from all I understand, he's going to get paid his $24 million or $30 million, what have you. But another one that resonated uh, as a shock was Magic Johnson. And, of course, he he had health reasons why he walked away. And uh, one who didn't have any health reasons at all would be what Scott referenced was Barry Sanders. But another one people probably forget about. In 2000, Minnesota Vikings played an NFC title game. Robert Smith rushed for 1,500 yards. And this is a guy who went to Ohio State, was a superstar there, and he left uh, to try to become a doctor. But um, what struck me the most about the Andrew Luck thing, um, Adam, wasn't the fact that he walked away, because I think we've all seen it. He's had some clear injury problems. <laughs> the attack on the guy's toughness yeah. for doing it by by some people who have really no no business. Now, I know everyone has an opinion on what have you, but my goodness gracious, uh, uh, when you have a guy like – when you have guys like Doug Gottlieb and Dan Dockich. I mean, you have to be kidding me. These are really, really personal decisions. And at that time, I mean, to be booed when he's walking off the field as this news is breaking, which I'm sure is not the way he planned. I mean, he's, as it was, he was in shorts and a T-shirt and apologized to his mother at the press conference for showing up at his retirement press conference when he wasn't in a tie. But it was all something that was so so organic that he went through. And having said all this, uh, who are we kidding? Or, or will any will the, any of the three of us be surprised if in two years after he's completely healthy, he doesn't revisit this decision and say, you know, maybe I'll come back and try to play again. I mean, Jason Witten did that after a year of Monday Night Football. Maybe it was because he was so bad in the booth. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, Sandy Koufax. I mean, these are all, I mean, just yeah. we, these all names are. keep popping in my head. Rocky Marciano was 31 when he walked away. Uh, as course, a 49 and 0. Michael uh, Jordan did come back. And Michael Jordan came George back. Foreman George Foreman came back. Everybody came back. But in Andrew Luck's case, uh, the window there is probably pretty small as an NFL quarterback. It's uh, and, and the, the Gator connection. It's Jacoby Brissett's team now. So there's a guy who you know okay. left Florida because he couldn't get on the field. Now he's going to be starting for an NFL franchise. Go figure. You know Jacoby Brissett. He I saw one thing on him after the news broke. He's suddenly in the spotlight, and people were kind of getting a kick out of his uh i guess his twitter personality he's kind of a goofball on twitter uh but you know he's he was always like that even here he was always a very likable kid um you know it was a tough spot for him here and ended up transferring up to north carolina state uh but who thought who would think what six seven years later that both jeff driscoll and jacoby percent are still in nfl yeah and and both uh, Driscoll had a shot at being a starter last year when Andy Dalton got hurt. And of course, now it looks like Brissett, unless they do go out and get a Kaepernick or someone who maybe we don't see right now, but it's something to keep an eye on. 
one final note on that before we wrap, just to, to give you an idea of the kind of money. Chris, you mentioned that the $60,000 that Jim Brown walked away from. Uh, Jim Ursay at the at the press conference for Lux Retirement said that given what quarterbacks are paid these days and where things are going in terms of the, those numbers, he thinks that Luck is leaving a half a billion dollars on the table by walking away. Half a billion with a B walking away. That is, I mean, that's just mind-blowing when you think well, about it. Well, it sounds like they're going to become part owners of these teams then. Almost, <laughs> I <mean>. yeah. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, it's definitely an intriguing story to see a guy walk away like that. But, hey, you know what? I don't know how the guy feels when he wakes up in the morning. I mean, it probably hurts to walk right now. And I don't, to be honest with you, I think with the game being where it is, I think we're going to see shorter and shorter careers. We're already seeing that. Uh, it just happens that Andrew Luck is perhaps the most famous player to step away at what we consider his prime. I, I just think it's going to be more and more. I saw Rob Gronkowski. And you don't see Grant get too emotional often, but he actually got emotional talking about how the game had brought him down so far. Mm. Uh, you know, he understood what Andrew Luck was doing. On the flip side of that, it even makes guys like Tom Brady even more amazing. Yeah, very true. Still doing it at 40 years old. Incredible. Really makes it amazing what I'm doing at 59. That's true. That's true. It's like Chris is going through his his, uh, his knee rehab, so we'll let him go right now to get to that. Uh, certainly, these guys will be active online, posting content, even during the Gators bye weeks. Make sure to check them out at FloridaGators.com and on Twitter at GatorsChris at Gators Scott. And uh, we'll be talking about uh, week two, right? We're, just, we're, we're skipping week one. We'll talk about week two with you next week. Uh, thanks, Adam. TM. Not every player who dons the orange and blue grows up dreaming of doing just that, but for Tanner Rowell, it was all he ever wanted for as long as he can remember. The son of former Florida lineman Tony Rowell, Tanner came in as a preferred walk-on in 2016 and immediately went to work, leading to the crowning achievement during camp when the redshirt junior officially became a scholarship athlete. We talked to Tanner about his journey and what it took to climb that ladder, but began by finding out what it was like on the field last Saturday. I think we knew we were going to win. We put in we put in so much work this offseason, so uh, I don't think there was any doubt there. We went out and we had some mistakes, but just the atmosphere on the sideline, especially just having all those old Gators there too, I think really helped us keep us up. So it was just, I mean, it was a real positive atmosphere. We had it. I mean, even when things weren't going our way, we never batted an eye. We did. We we knew we were going to come out on top. I think. When and you're a longtime Gator as well, so I'm sure you remember some of those Miami games from years past that didn't go well. So what did it mean to beat Miami, especially knowing it's the only time that that the Gators and Canes are going to play for another five years? I mean, it was pretty awesome. It's just you know, I mean, we can hold that Mm -hmm. just for the next five years, and I think that'll be. Huge, especially going into the next game. We'll probably just make it even bigger the next time we play, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. You talked about kind of the, the preparation and, and being ready for that challenge. But when you do have the ups and the downs, as that game clearly had a lot of, what is that like? I mean, do you have do you ride those waves or do you try to avoid getting caught up in it because it takes you away from that preparation? Um, kind of the way we're prepared, the way Coach Savage and Coach Mullen kind of do things. It's an awesome saying. I think it's a, a Navy SEAL. It's like they don't rise to the occasion, but they, they sink to the level of their training because we've just got, we've gone through so much and so much adversity just throughout the year. So anything comes our way, you know, just kind of just got to be ready for it, just ready to take on adversity. Mm-hmm. 
we're going to get back to football in a, in a few minutes here, but I want to talk about your family and kind of your background. Is, as you mentioned a second ago, you come from a, a true Gator family. So can you talk about your history with the Gators going all the way back? Shoot, I, as long as I can, probably four years old, running around the house in a Gator helmet. I didn't even. I don't even think I knew why I was running around in the Gator helmet. Just because that's the <laughs> helmet I. That's just the helmet I had. That was bought for me a little plastic helmet. But uh, right. Ever since I've been playing football, I think. Uh, I think I started like around second grade, first or second grade. Um, my dad didn't want me to play little league football. He told me he wanted me to wait till high school. But that's just all I wanted to do. I came home one day. One of my one of my buddies said I signed up for football, and I said they got tackle football for kids. Nobody <laughs> told me that. So uh, they ended up signing me up, and it's just. I, I've just been playing since then, really. What was your dad's reasoning behind not wanting you to play until high school, and, and how did you overcome that? Well, once once he saw how excited I think I was as a young kid just to want to get out there on the field, I think he kind of like, well, let's do it. But I, I almost think he wanted me to maybe look at some different sports and everything because maybe he knew football would eventually kind of be pushed on me or, one, you know what I'm saying, one way mm-hmm. or another. Mm-hmm. He wanted to see other sports I'd play, and I really didn't. I played a little baseball and a little basketball, but once I got in high school, I stopped doing that, which is something I do kind of regret. Mm-hmm. So when you started playing, and obviously you fell for it, how did he help you? Because I know he obviously, I mean, for people that don't know, he played for the Gators as well back in the early 90s under Steve Spurrier. So what role did he play in your development? He, he would help me out more mentally. He did coach me a little bit, but he would just kind of explain to me what the game was, you know, it, it, his biggest thing he'd always tell me was, dude, you don't have any no friends on the football field, which was just I think at a young age kind of set me apart from younger kids because I believed that. I mean, you go out there to practice, that might be your buddy lined up across from you, but you got when you're out on the field, you gotta. I mean, you gotta go hard. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? No time to be soft is something he kind of, <laughs> and that's just that's kind of how he is in life too, kind of. Right. But um, something he never he never um really pushed football on me at all. I used to joke with my buddies, like some of my buddies who's dads were just football 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 mm-hmm. i think it, i think at any time i could have just said i don't want to play football anymore and he'd say okay and that would be that you know and i i really appreciated him for that because it was never uh it was something that i wanted to do and he right. would always he was always there to support me but i knew it, it was my choice i wasn't doing something for him mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm sure he's probably busy being a father to the rest of your family which is quite large so can you tell yeah. us about uh all your siblings and and your mom and where you grew up kind of the uh the, the backstory behind that so i was born in melbourne florida i'm the second oldest of six kids wow so i have um i have an older sister her name's kayla and she uh she lives in jacksonville and then i got a younger brother cameron he lives in melbourne he graduated high school two years ago and then i have a younger sister ava um she's a senior i have uh, another little brother and um he's a He's a sophomore now, and then my other little sister just went into seventh grade. That's a that's a crazy mix you got there. A lot of it sounds like a lot of uh, you could have like gender wars, right? Four on four. <laughs> oh, uh, it was it was a pretty bruiser household. Growing up. <laughs> well, and, and how did that? I mean, how did that play into sort of your your mentality on the football field? Always, you know, battling uh, battling siblings for I don't know attention. Uh, you name it. I'm, I'm sure it was always some sort of rivalry going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were always kind of getting into it. Mom would always, she'd always have to be breaking us up, it seemed like, especially just, especially the brothers. Right. So as you played football throughout high school, and obviously you you fell for it, we know that. When did you make the decision to come to UF and and be in a walk-on spot? Because I know you had some smaller offers you could have pursued. Was there ever any doubt that you were going to do anything else? At one time, really, I didn't even want to go to college. 
just because it didn't look like it was going to work out for me, you know. Toward, like towards the end of my high school career, I had some smaller offers, and I I don't know I was I was working quite a bit towards end towards the end of my high school years, and I thought maybe that's just what I wanted to do, you know. But after my senior season, I was kind of in a place where well maybe maybe I should go to one of these smaller schools. I didn't know anything about a per, preferred walk on at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, visited Savannah State and uh, Fort Hayes State, just two two small schools. Those, those were my first two offers, and I was working on something and then uh ga mangus was at south carolina and he was at spurrier but i think spurrier had just resigned from that position and but he had he had offered me a preferred walk-on mm-hmm. he called my dad he, he played with my dad he played quarterback here back mm-hmm. in the day and mm-hmm. i said well preferred walk i said well if i can do a preferred walk on south carolina i wonder if i can do a preferred walk on at florida right so we kind of worked on that, and um, as soon as I knew I could do that, I was dead set. That's what I that's what I was going to do. So when you came into the program, how did you get involved? How did you get noticed? I mean, what does it take for a walk on to make an impact? Handle your business, number one. You don't ever you don't want to be a list guy, and that's something. Uh, I had a little bit of trouble my freshman year. You know, going to class and this and that. And um, Coach Rump was here at the time. He was my defense line coach, mm-hmm. and uh, he pulled me aside and he told me he's like, you can play here one day. You're gonna have to put the time in. He, but he showed, he said these lists. He said you cannot be a list guy in this program. What does that you know mean? I mean? I've, I've never heard that phrase. What does it mean? Be a, a list guy. A list guy. So you're you're always on a on a trouble list. You're on a late to class list, or maybe you miss a lift, or your GPA is not where it's supposed to be. Or you know what I mean? You're just yeah. not handling. You're not handling your business off the field. Because right. I'm never. I don't think I ever. It was ever a question of me, you know what I mean, handling my business on the field or sure. in the weight room. Sure. But off the field, you don't want to be on any of those disciplinary lists, you know. Right. Especially, right. especially as a walk-on, because you're already you're already one step behind. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. So he has that conversation with you, and then how does that change your mindset? What impact does that have on you after he tells you that? I never really looked at it like that until he told me that conversation like we had that conversation and after that i really i started making more of an effort in school and um i don't know how much of an impact that made on me receiving my scholarship but i it's uh made a it made a huge impact in my life really just i think uh it made me a lot more accountable and um I, i've made sec on a roll the past two years and that's just something i was i wasn't ever really a very good student growing up but the fact that i've made on roll the past two years if that conversation did anything all it, it made my mama happy really <laughs> That's always good. You can't discount the value of that. No, sir. (laughs) So when you came to the program, obviously, you know, you had your dad to look back on and share some insights about what it was like to play for the Gators. But as far as, you know, what it's like today, you got to look to your teammates for that. So which teammates have had the biggest impact on you during your time in the program? I mean, there's there's been a pile of them. I've had I've had some people that really helped me. I want to say one of the first people when I was a freshman. Um, I really looked up to him was Joey Ivy before I even knew him mm-hmm. coming in. And Joey was one of the first players that looked at me and he said, he said, you know, you can play here. He said, you're going to have to put some serious time in. He said, but you're going to be able to, you're going to do it. Keep your head on. And then he left. And then uh, Brett Heggie, we came in together and um, well, I mean, we just been buddies ever since then. And anytime I've ever maybe doubted myself or anything, he's always been, been good him and both him and nick buchanan both are really good at helping me out with stuff like that you know just always with this keep pushing man keep pushing you're so close you're this and that and then the last one uh rj raymond Mm -hmm. um when i first came in we our lockers were about right next to each other and we didn't get along very good 
I don't know. I don't know why he, he kind of had it out for me. I think when I first got there, but we got to get to know <laughs> each other and, uh, he'll probably be one of my best friends probably for the rest of my life. Just I, if people want to talk about my journey. I don't think anybody had a journey quite like his, you know, good on scholarship taken away and yeah. then earn it again, you know, and I, and I have the most us, utmost respect for him. He's just one of those guys that always helped me stay positive throughout the whole thing. You know, cause certain, you know what I mean? It's, it's sometimes you get down on yourself. And, sure. Man, this is this is kind of tough. Why am I doing this? And you start questioning things. And then anytime I I'd start doing that at all, you know, that's somebody I could do, always knew I could call. Right. And, uh, he's just been a huge help. And we talked to RJ last year and heard his story, which in some ways is kind of similar to yours. So one of the things he talked about was the importance of versatility. And I know you've you've really embodied that. I mean, can you tell us about all the different positions? that you've played really on both sides of the ball? I think I can play anything, offense line or defense line. I can play on offense line. I can play guard and center, and on defense line, I can play nose and tackle. But I don't know if you want to put me out there at end or offense <laughs> tackle because uh, I don't know about playing in space. But um, <laughs> it's been, you know, the biggest thing with that, when they first moved me to offense line going into my sophomore year, I was pretty upset about it. And um, I didn't have a very good outlook when they when they did it that time. I didn't really get in my playbook like I should. I was just kind of like, why me? Why do I need to do this? And uh, it didn't work out for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I uh, went in Coach Shannon. I said, Coach Shannon, I really just want to go back to defense line. And he said, that's fine with me. Because the thing that was really driving me up the wall is I was on the offensive line, but I was, I was playing scout team defensive line. So I was really – just had me in a hard spot, and uh, when I I went back to defensive line for I don't know the last three games of that that four and seven season mm-hmm. and got done. Coach Mullen comes in uh, right off the bat. Coach Evesy's asking me why I'm not in the offensive line meeting room, and I said because <laughs> I'm a defensive lineman, you know. And um, Coach Sal was here, and I think you know I was all excited to be back on defensive line, new program and everything, and um, trying to really learn football at that point yeah. with coach Sal and he did a and coach Sal did a great job with that just teaching me anything I wanted to know you know mm-hmm. I really I really enjoyed playing defense line and uh during the spring workouts coach Mullen asked me if I thought about going to offense going back to offense line and I told him I hadn't thought about it much <laughs> and after sitting down I sat down with coach Hevesy and we talked and I told him that I'd like to give it a try then for the spring and um he's just he's an awesome coach he's he's helped me so much um, I think between Coach Sal and him, with Coach Sal learning how to break down an offensive line, and then now coming into this room, and uh, I think I picked up on it a lot more easy. I had a I had a lot better attitude when I walked in here this time than the first time, and um, I'm just hoping I can uh, make an impact here in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure that willingness to to step up for the team is one of the reasons why you did get on scholarship not too long ago. So, can you take us through? the moment when you rewarded that scholarship, how it went down and was it something that you were expecting or were you totally shocked? It was something I, I was hoping for, but you know, it's something I've been hoping for since I stepped foot on this campus, you know, mm-hmm. at any given time, I always, you know, I always had hope the whole time, so, but, um, expected. No, I, no, I was not expecting that. I just walked in the team meeting after, after a walkthrough, like we always do. Um, Coach Mullen had been having the coaches give us some good talks, and he, we were watching the hard knocks. And mm-hmm. Coach Gruden was talking about um, we got to get rid of some of these guys that don't like football. And uh, Coach Mullen, I, I think, paused it right after that, and he started talking about guys that love football. And then uh, when he said my name, I, I had a feeling what was about to happen, but uh, <laughs> I'll never be able to replicate that feeling ever again for as long as I live. Just mm-hmm. um, it was it was just the most like a weight had been just snatched right off my shoulders and I was happy. I, I couldn't, I really can't explain it to you. Yeah. It was something that I know for a fact I'll never experience again. 
Well, I'm sure it also meant a lot to your family and especially your dad, given he played for, you know, for the Gators. So what was it like calling them and sharing that news? That was probably the best thing. Um, I mean, one of the greatest things I think I've told them, in my opinion, you know what I'm saying? Just mm-hmm. to be able to make that call, especially to my dad, just in the beginning when I decided that this is what I wanted to do, he was supportive of me, but he also, he's a pretty realistic guy. You know, my dad is and he said, this is, this might be the hardest thing you ever do in your life, trying to be a walk-on at the University of Florida, you know? Mm-hmm. We, he tried to weigh out the options, and we talked about playtime and all that, but when I decided this is what I want to do, he backed me up 100%, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, he always would just tell me, just just keep working, and I'm pr- how proud uh, he was of me the whole time. And, um, how I, I mean, I, I exceeded his expectations, you know, and just hearing that stuff. But when I finally got to call him and – tell him i got uh put on a scholarship it was it was um i really wish he could have been there i wish you mm-hmm. know what i mean it wouldn't have been on the phone because sure i'd like to see the look on his face but he was he was more than happy when he talks about the old days back when he played compared to now i'm curious does he ever tell any of any classic coach spurrier stories because it seems like everybody who encountered steve spurrier at some point has a story that's unique do you have any of those that, that you shared with you um, I don't know if any of that I should share because some of them are pretty. <laughs> he's got, but he has uh, him and his buddies, uh, Terrence Barber. He'll come over to Terrence Barber, Mike Brandon, he Sham Ishmael, all those guys. They'll get together. Cal Dixon, he's kind of running crew, and when they get together, they're always they all got their own little Spurrier voice, and they'll mm-hmm. start telling funny stories. <laughs> Does he ever talk about you know the old days? Well, you know, back in my day, we did things like this. Do you get any of that uh that millennial uh, guilt that that they sometimes put on you? Um, we run the whole stadium. And, um, so the first time we did that, you know, I get done with it and I get home. Anytime we do anything like that, I always, I always call him after to let him know what I did that morning. Right. Just to, just to tease him a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, I told him what we did and he said, Oh, you guys just had to jog it. And I said, yeah. And he said, they used to have to sprint up the first flight of stairs and then hop up the next flight of stairs, bunny hop. And then the last flight of stairs, they were allowed to walk you know how the stadium goes up in three sections like that. Right. So the first section, they'd sprint it and then hop it. And then he said, if you get to the top, you just want to run, but they'd make you walk that last one. And then you'd have to go straight. He said, that, I don't know. He would, he just waves me out. <laughs> so he, he thinks that, that you guys are soft, I guess, right? Not nearly as hard as what they had to do back in the day. Oh, oh it never will be. It never <laughs> will be. Um, Outside of football, what are some things you enjoy doing? I know you obviously spent a lot of time on your on your studies, which has gotten you on the honor roll. But when you do have some time away from the game, what do you enjoy doing? Um, number one, I like to hog hunt with my buddies. It's, it's, it's something I've been doing probably since middle school. Just uh, We hunt with dogs. And uh, my best friend in high school, and still my best friend to this day, um, he comes from a family that have a 25,000-acre cattle ranch. And, oh, wow. Um, yeah, between Melbourne and St. Cloud, Florida. It's called Kemper, Kemper Ranch, and really just that's that's where I like to be if I'm not here. And hog hunting, and um, I help them work cows whenever I can. That's that's something else that I enjoy to do when I'm not here. And uh, I also, I mean, in my free time, really, when I'm up here during the spring and during the summer, I, I work for a guy who's got uh, probably 200 head of mama cows. His name's uh, Roger West, and um, I just kind of help him, help him. He's got leases all over kind of the Alachua County area and I'll just day work for him and help him out a little bit, you know? Yeah. 
Well, I, I read that's a big part of what you did this summer. So you asked people what they did over the summer, and they say, I went on a cool vacation. I went on a cruise. You were on a large cattle farm. That that was your summer. Well, not <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just I stay up here, and I'll, I'll usually it's I'll get up, and I go to work until about um, 1 o'clock, and then I'd make it back just uh, in time to go to, you know, go run with the team and um, hit a workout. Hmm. You're known as an old school kind of guy. I think people can probably tell just from hearing some of the things you like to do. But that also translates to uh, to your hair. So uh, I know you get a lot of you get a lot of grief about that. Where did the where did the inspiration come from for the old school hair? I'm gonna be honest with you. I think I was about in tenth grade when the Boz Thirty for Thirty came out. The Brian <laughs> Bosworth. Yeah. And not only did I think he was like the coolest guy ever at that time. After seeing that, I was like. You know, I was like, he's got some cool hair. Then also, uh, he took my dad on his official visit on his official visit to Oklahoma. Huh. Yes, yeah, so my dad was like, that guy was crazy. So I think I I got a little mullet in high school, like more of a boss cut. And then I don't I grew my hair out for a year, and my buddies were like, man, you should cut a mullet. And I said, <laughs> you know what? I think I will cut a mullet, and I just just left it ever since. And so is, is it like it's it's your signature now, right? It's like Anthony Davis and the Unibrow. You can't get rid of it. That's what people know you for. Yeah, you just got to keep it, I guess. Got to keep going. Is, is there any end in sight for the mullet, or is this like, uh, is this going on as, as far as the eye can see? Yeah, I think I think maybe thirty would be a good age to cut it off. Okay, so you still you got know? you still got some time then. You're you're committed to it yeah, long term. I, th- I think I got to let it grow now. A <laughs> uh, couple final things for you. Just getting back to to football. I know it's it's strange to have a week off following the opener. So what does that look like for the players when you've got a huge game like that? And now you got more time to wait before playing again. What what does the week play out like? Right now, we just came off the win, but it it wasn't as I mean anybody saw it wasn't a very disciplined win. It was I we came together as a team, but we still had quite you know we had too many mishaps. And I think this week we really need to work on that. And I think that's just kind of what the guys are something that we know we need to do before we go back out there and play another game. As far as you personally. Tell us, what does this year look like for you? What are your expectations for how often you're going to get on the field? Where are you going to contribute? If fans are looking for you, besides trying to track where the mullet is in the stadium, where on the field can they expect to see you making an impact? I'm uh, I'm starting on punt team and uh, field goal, so special teams right there. And um, I'm backing up Nick at center right now. And um, hopefully against UT Martin, I'll, I'll get some snaps there at center. I haven't, uh, I haven't had any snaps in the game, so I'm looking forward to that but besides that i'll uh i'll be there doing my job on punt team because that's uh that's what really earned me my scholarship if you, if, uh, you want to talk to coach mullen you know that's it you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta be on special teams before you can be on anything else no question well congratulations on earning that scholarship thank you so much for spending some time with us and good luck to you the rest of the season all right thank you sir and that's going to do it for this week's show if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Head to FloridaGators.com for info on all of this week's action, and make sure you come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.